Thank you for joining us. It's our mission to restore hope and make a positive difference in your life today. Remember to hit subscribe so you can be the first to know when we release new content. Let's go now to today's message. Pastors asked if I would do a, a short little devotional tonight. We're going to try to get you in and out of here within an hour or so. Um, and then Pastor Amanda is going is to come speak to you for just a few minutes. Doctor cleared it, right? Doctor cleared it. Just a few minutes. That's what you're going to hear when your time is up. Okay. <laughs> Pastor Aaron is um, having a night with Elijah tonight, and they're off doing some father and son stuff, and they send their love. Go Big Blue. <laughs> they are off uh, doing some father-son stuff, regardless of what color you vote for. We vote for our pastor having a good time with his family and spending that father-son time. So, uh, but he sends his love to each and every one of you. Um, and I am humbled and honored that they would ask me to do this tonight. Um, and so let's just, let's dive in and let's just kind of think about this and look at this for a little bit. This Christmas season is a little bit different for probably a lot of us, right? It's, it's completely different than any of us ever pictured. Um, we were all going to be in our houses by now. Seems minuscule compared to many other things. We have those among us tonight or watching online that have recently lost family members. And it's never a good time to lose family. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, as the Bible tells us. And so we rejoice in that tonight, that they are present with the Lord tonight. And they get to spend Christmas in the ultimate paradise. And so I hope and I pray that tonight what we, what, what we share and what the Lord has laid on my heart is we'll bring some peace, we'll bring some comfort, but we'll remind us of the season that we are here and we celebrate in. When I was a kid, I can remember my dad and mom, it was always a competition, right? We weren't rich, we weren't well off, but it was always to see who could give the best gift. And I would go with dad and we would go shopping and we would pick up the normal accoutrements, right? We'd get the sweater for mom or, you know, a, a new blouse and, you know, some things, maybe the latest and greatest kitchen gadget that she had her eye on, whatever it might be. And they always had their budgets and they were supposed to stay within their budgets. But for some reason, my father always had his own budget in mind. And he would always go a little above and beyond and I can remember asking him, I say, dad, why do you do this? Cause you know, mom's mad at you every time you do this, she gets upset that you spent more than what you told her she could spend on you. And he said, son, your mom does so much and sacrifices so much for us, for you, that it's it just seems appropriate that I spoil her. And so after we all opened up our gifts and the craziness of the paper thrown all over the place and everything was done and we would always be playing with our toys or things. Dad would always kind of sneak off, go into the closet, come back out with a little box that would have a necklace or some earrings or something that was a little more of value and sentimental that he would give to her. And she would always act shocked. She would always act surprised. And after a few years, she started to get the hang of it. And after he did that, she'd disappear and go to the closet 
and come back with a little something else that she got for him as well. You say, why do you, why do you share that? Because for me, that always left a mark on my life about gift giving and about giving our best. If we look in the book of Matthew chapter two, and I'm going to read in verse 11 out of the King James version, it says, and when they were coming to the house, they saw this young child with Mary, his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These men gave, these are the wise men that traveled from afar. And let's talk about this for a minute because they gave of their time. Many of you give of your time. You volunteer at the church. You're helping out in Hope Kids. You're helping out in nursery. You're doing something with the youth, the, the women, uh, women's ministry, preparing for overflow or food or events and different things. But they, they gave of their time. They traveled from afar a great distance to see the Christ child. They gave of their talents. You say, how did they give of their talents? You see, they didn't have a map like we know today. They couldn't punch it in their GPS. They didn't even have an end destination in mind. He didn't tell them go to one, two, three main street in Bethlehem and actually don't go to the end. You're going to go around to the back. They simply had directions of follow the star. So I have to imagine that it took some pretty incredible talents to follow that star for some distance. It's, the Bible made a point to say they came from afar. It was in a different land. They, they didn't travel just a day. They didn't go and just walk for an hour. So it took talent for them to do that. You see, they also, they also gave of their testimonies. When they came before Jesus, they fell down and worshiped him. In doing so, they acknowledged both his lordship and his kingship. A gift of testimony. You see, they were told of his birth. They had heard the prophecies and now they see the Christ child with their own eyes. And so they can now testify and share this testimony that they have. But then they also gave of their treasures. You see, they desired to worship him. They didn't reach into their packs on their camels or horses or whatever. They, they traveled on at that time and grab whatever they had left over. You see, they prepared I have to imagine that they, they, they carefully picked their treasures with each stop checking to ensure that it was still with them, that it was still wrapped, it was still bundled, it was still packaged, that they hadn't dropped it someplace along the line. Probably I can even imagine in my mind, this is from the gospel of Jeremy, but I can imagine that they were even maybe even opening it just to make sure that it was still there. You see, they wanted to, in fact, make sure that they were ready to present their gift to the King of Kings. And let's look at those gifts, gold, which represents the kingship of God. Gold in the Bible is symbolic of God. It represents the most precious of metals and is extremely rare in its purest form. Now, today you can go down the mall. And you can find them little gold places in the middle where you're going to buy your chain for $49 and it's going to turn your neck green. That is not the gold we're talking about. It is extremely rare in its purest 
form. The intrinsic value of gold has been established since ancient times, and gold was used to honor kings. King Solomon had an ivory throne overlaid with the best gold. We bring that in 1 Kings chapter 10. The furniture of the tabernacle features gold, symbolically pointing to Christ and his deity. The Ark of the Covenant was constructed of a wood, symbolic of Jesus' humanity, and overlaid with gold, symbolic of his divinity. The mercy seat and the two cherubim were made of pure gold. We read of that in Exodus 25. Since gold represents God, it's no surprise that many idols and false gods were also created from gold because gold is pure it's a valuable metal it's also associated with God's precepts principles and promises all of which are perfect and pure and supersede any that are set by man the gift of gold given by one wise man pointed to the begotten son who was given by God to be king over his people The wise men's gift proclaimed Jesus to be king at birth, as we read in Matthew chapter 2, as others did during his life. He didn't just have gold just stopping at the Dollar General on the way and pick it up. He must prepare. The second gift of frankincense. Frankincense equals a high priest of God. Frankincense is an aromatic, an aromatic clear resin obtained from trees in northern India and Arabia. It's used in incense and perfumes and was treasured for its aroma and healing properties. Frankincense was an ingredient used in the sanctuary of the Lord. We read of that in Exodus chapter 30. As part of the meat offering and as a sweet savor in incense. Frankincense is also symbolic of prayer. Because of the use in the temple, frankincense is considered to be an emblematic of Jesus. Jesus' office as the priest, the high priest of God. The gift of frankincense given by one wise man pointed to the work as Jesus, as that great high priest who ministered for three and a half years to God's people. Myrrh equals the prophet of God. Myrrh was a spice used for medicine, cosmetics, and an anointing oil. It was mixed into the oil that was used to anoint prophets for the divinely appointed work of revealing God and communicating his will. And his words to his people. Jesus came to a nation of Israel. And he came as a prophet. In fulfillment of the prophecies before him. As a prophet. Jesus did the will of the father. John 4.34. Jesus said unto them. My meat is to do. My food is to do the will of him that sent me. And to finish his work. As a prophet. Jesus did the work of the father. Matthew chapter 11.27. All things are delivered unto me of my father. As a prophet. Jesus spoke the words of the father. John chapter 8. Verse, or chapter 8 verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them. I do nothing of myself. But as my father hath taught me. I speak these things. What if we prepared ourselves in the same way that these wise men prepared to meet the Christ child? Many gave of their time, their talents, and even their testimonies. But what of your treasures of your wealth? The thing that most of us struggle with to hand over to God are finances. We trust him in every aspect of our life, but we feel we can hang on to our treasures. After all, they're a gift from God. And who gives a gift only to ask for some back? Do you give a gift to your kids and say, now I need that back? 
because now we're going to go give that to your cousin because I didn't have enough to get them something too. No. Does he really ask for 10% and above of what he gave to us? The answer to that is found in the gospel of peace, joy, and good news that the Christ child was born for. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. What could you bring to that man? What could you bring to the one who paid it all? As you look to pick out your gift, as you look to prepare our hearts as we come, as the wise men did, I want to ask you this. If, if you've ever had the opportunity to work in a Hope Kids service, the Sunday before Christmas or the Sunday after our Wednesday night, I just want you to raise your hand when we do our Santa shop. I want you to raise your hands. Okay, I'm going to ask you guys to keep me honest. Okay? I don't make it a practice of lying and definitely not from the pulpit or anywhere. But I want you to keep me honest in this. As we line up these kids to pick out a gift for their mom and dad, they don't just run to the table and go, oh, that'll do. They come up and down the table and they look. And they pick it up and they go, no. And they'll come back and sometimes they'll even say, do you think my dad will like this? Or sometimes they go, what is this? Right? But they, they, they don't just pick up the first thing they have. And sometimes if they had their eye on something that they saw earlier and somebody else picked it up, they may not be real happy. Because they had their mindset on what they wanted to bring, what they wanted to give. A gift that their parents would enjoy. A gift that their parents would love. A gift that says, I know my father. I know my mother. What would bring the best smile to their face? What gift could I do with them? Some picked up puzzles because, oh, my dad loves to make puzzles with me or mom and I love to make puzzles. Let's grab this puzzle. We could sit down and I could just spend time with them if I get this puzzle. We had one girl this year that said, ooh, what's that? I said, well, that's a little foot spa. And she said, oh, I got to get that for mom. I said, yeah. And she goes, that way I don't have to rub her feet so much. If you got that, sorry. But she knew what mom loved. She knew what mom enjoyed. She knew what would bring pleasure and a smile to the parents' face. You see, the wise men, these kids, you as parents, we all have something that's familiar. We love to give gifts. Oh, it's fun to receive them, but man, it's so good to give them. It is so good to give them. The, my kids are older now, and the magic is kind of gone. 
Like they pick out their own gifts. They send me the link on the website and say, is this in my budget? Yeah. We actually ordered something for Tony and he, it came in and didn't know if it was going to be here. Cause I had no idea that we were ordering it from a different country and it was in customs. <laughs> Oops, but it made it. And so he came over and he goes, I'm just going to go and take this cause I can't wait to use it. And I said, son, it's not Christmas. And I got, but I got to shoot my bow. It was this thing for his bow that he wanted. And he was so excited. I would rather see that excitement in my kids' faces, even at 20 years old, than to get something myself. But what do you get the one who has everything? What does the one who has everything ask of us? What does he ask of you? What gift could you possibly give to the one who literally paid the price for your every sin? What if we come to this time in the service prepared as the wise men did? Prepared, planning, seeking out the perfect gift to give to the king. What does he ask of us? In Micah chapter 6 verse 8, we find the answer to that question just in one place in the Bible, but I love this. It says, he has shown me, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You see, to truly walk with God hand in hand in a manner of humility is knowing that his ways are more just and merciful than ours. Knowing that he is more sovereign than we are. God, why did my loved one have to pass? God is more sovereign than we are. We have to trust in the timing that his plan is perfect. It's not ours. But we walk so tightly woven with him, understanding that walking in humility of knowing that God, not my will, but yours. I believe if I'm not wrong, Jesus set that example in the garden. God, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours. So he asks us to walk humbly, to show mercy, and to do justly. You see, that is what is good, and that is what the Lord requires of each of us. In this season, and in every season, to be found walking so tightly woven with Christ that his light becomes our light. The goal is not for our neighbors to see us, but for to see Christ in us. What better way to show the King of Kings, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of peace, our honor than to come to him as the wise men did humbly giving of their time, their talents, their testimony and their treasure. They first, the word tells us, fell on their knees and they worshiped him. The Christ child born in a manger, the King of Kings born where the animals lay, where the animals feed, where the animals mess. They fell on their knees. They worshiped him and then they opened their gifts and they presented them to him. Tonight we've come out. We have worshiped him. We may not have fallen on our knees. But oh, we lifted up our hands and we said, thank you, Lord. We said, hallelujah. We said, praise you, God. 
You alone are worthy, God. Amen. bless you as you are giving tonight. It feels good to be in the house, I will say, and out of mine. <laughs> I do have permission for my doctor to be here. And he literally said this. So I'm going to do my best. As you know, our church family um, and a member of our body is suffering right now. And in a season that is supposed to be filled with peace and joy, it oftentimes feels like it's the farthest from it. But aren't you thankful for the hope and the promise that goes beyond devastation and goes beyond darkness and goes beyond dread and fear and doubt? It overrides and dispels every bit of darkness when it tries to set upon our lives. As I was preparing for just a few moments to share with you tonight, I'm going to pick up and actually hit rewind just a little bit where Pastor Jeremy dropped us. Led us, I should say. He didn't drop us, did he? In Matthew 2, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And I don't know that I've ever really given this much thought other than the wise men saw the star and they began their journey of where this star would lead them. But how many of us know that there has to have been something so much deeper that a star, it probably would have not been overly shocking to see something appear. And if you're like me, I remember growing up when there was a fire or something was happening, the sirens, that's why those you know, searchlights are so powerful because people will go to see what is happening. Now these wise men were not bored and didn't have things to do. And I wanna start by saying that coming from the East, it was a clear depiction that they were coming from Babylon. <laughs> so my instinct tells me that these wise men coming from Babylon, they were not kings. I don't know who wrote the song, We Three Kings. They were not kings. They were of a priestly lineage rooted deep. These were king makers. <laughs> These were those who were gifted to seek out, who would take a reign as king. And I have to believe that these were also such wise men, magis, if you will, that probably over 400 years previously, a prophet by the name of Daniel shared a message that was delivered by the angel Gabriel. In Daniel 9, I got to be careful. I can't come down these steps tonight. In Daniel 9, we see 
a prophecy declared by an angel that there would be one that would be born who would come to redeem mankind, but then would all too soon, his life would be taken from him. The Messiah was prophesied to Daniel by the angel Gabriel. 400 plus years later, I believe, passed down from magi, wise men, to wise men, to wise men. They were on a search for a king who was coming to not just redeem the lost sheep of Israel, but for the whole world. The whole world that was lost. A place in Babylon, God forsaken, worshiping false idols, that God would raise men to see a sign and follow a star. Saying, when they appeared in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled now, and all of Jerusalem with him. All of Jerusalem was shaken. And I also wonder if these three wise men were not with an entourage. A whole group of people must have made their way into Jerusalem at this time. What else would utter and shake the whole city? I can see why King Herod would be concerned, but the people of Jerusalem were also troubled, we find in verse three. The entourage with these three wise men might possibly be a reason to cause a disruption in Jerusalem. Verse four, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ that was born? And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet Micah, founded chapter five, verse two. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and questioned from them at what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, verse nine, and behold the star. Everybody say the star. They did have a GPS system. It just looked very different than the one that we use. Behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I came across a very profound statement that said this, give light and the way will be found. All through scripture, we can find that before God does something magnificent, it starts with a spark. In the beginning, woo, we could go all the way back to Genesis 1 where the earth was dark 
and without form and it was void. But one word from God the Father, one word, he said, let there be light. And there was light. We've heard scientists describe that at the moment of conception, the moment that a child is getting ready to come into this world, that it happens at a spark of light. All the way to the end of our life. I don't know, but we've heard it told. I saw a great light. But I'm also reminded that that midway rebirth, reforming, resurge that gathered and began sparking a remnant of people that would come together for such a time as this. That in John and one, he said that there was a man named John who bore witness of the light. He was not the light. Everybody say he was not. He was not a man set from God. Who was John? This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. Capital L is what our Bible describes it to be. That all through him might believe. Remember, John was a light bearer declaring, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He was sent into a wilderness place to see what spark he could create. that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. John 8 and 12, Jesus said, I am the light of this world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, a great commission set for the believers that said, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Who's in the house tonight? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. And I want to close with this thought. Light is only quite a brilliant sight to behold when it's the darkest. (laughs) It's felt pretty dark, especially these last few days. And I saw a fresh widow walk in the room tonight. And sometimes it's not about how big is your light and how great is your light. It's that do you have enough light to lend to one who's in darkness tonight? It's about creating a spark. It's about having that offering to be able to bring something, not just to him, but that when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I'm doing my best to fear no evil, That the way that I know, I know he's with me, but the way that I know he's with me is when I feel the spark of your light and the spark of your faith. It says that the candle of the Lord is the spirit of a man in Proverbs. And tonight in this room, as dark as this world is, 
And as gross as it is set up on us, there is still a light in glory. You were set on this earth just like those wise men went looking for the star. They followed the star. And when they began their path to Bethlehem, it said, then the star came before them, led them to the very place. It might look dark right now, but all you need to do is pick up your feet and set into motion in what you know. It's not about what you can see always. It's about what you know. And they then... Once they took the steps, says the star came before them and then led them in the full direction. It might be dark tonight, but do you have a light in Cross Plains, Tennessee? (laughs) Do you have a light for a neighbor, for your household when it gets really, really dark? I just prophesy that there's enough light in the room that without even lighting one candle, there's light. There's the light because the spirit that is in you is the candle of the Lord. And when the candle of the Lord is burning bright in you, no darkness can comprehend it. It cannot take hold of it. It will try. You will feel the fingerprints of darkness at times, but it will never be able to get its grip on those who've determined to walk in the spirit and the candle of the Lord. So if you will stand to your feet too, I feel the unction in this room. My doctor and my husband told me I have to be really good tonight, so. The light is not always about what we think it is. The light sometimes is to lead the way out of darkness for others. How much light do you have in you tonight? The scripture also says, listen, young people, I want you to hear me. Don't get distracted because I've asked you to stand up. The scripture also tells us that if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If the light in you is really just darkness, because I want you to understand something. You're set here to carry the candle of the Lord and people will follow you. As I'm following Christ, they will follow you. That's why that great word on that Mount of Beatitudes was spoken in Matthew and five. And he said, you, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill and you will never be hidden. I don't care how many times the enemy comes to blow out the light of glory. He cannot touch what God has sparked in you. 
when you have accepted the light, when you've accepted this faith, Heather, when you've accepted this glory, when you've accepted the candle of the Lord and you're determined to walk in the fear and the wisdom of his word, that light on the inside of you will testify. You can follow as I'm following him. I'm leading you to a place where you will see the magnificent glory unfold. Do you have enough light in you tonight? Not just to get you out of the dark space, but those around us. That's why we come together. That's why it felt so good. My husband's full of light. My children are full of light. But there was something about the moment that I stepped in the room and I felt your light. I felt it. I could feel things beginning to spark and beginning to birth and form and conception taking place in the spirit. I can feel the presence of an almighty God who is the light and my salvation. With every head bowed in this room, as we're closing, the girls who are going to sing, you can come on up. I don't want to be ignorant. And that's what that means. If the light in you is dark, how great is that darkness? It's actually ignorance. If the light in you is ignorance, how ignorant it really is. But there's a light and a revelation in the hearts and the minds of the people in this room who have accepted this light. But you may be in this room and you may say, I don't know him like that. I, I, I want to search for him. I want to look for him. I want to be able to offer a gift as Pastor Jeremy was des- describing so beautifully. I, I want to be one that seeks after him and follows his light wherever he might lead me. Even when it feels at times that that light is leading us into dark paths, I trust that as I take the steps, even in the darkness, it will never put its fingerprints on me because his light lives on the inside of me. But is there anyone in this room tonight that you would say, I don't have this light in me, this light of salvation, this joy of salvation. But I would love to say that I'm willing to accept him tonight. We didn't just show up here to shine lights outwardly. We came to show lights inwardly and it's already been so beautifully expressed. But if you're in here and you would say, I don't know Jesus as the Lord and personal savior of my life, but I would like to tonight, would you lift up your hand for just a moment as we just pray for you? Is there anyone that would say, I want to receive Jesus as the Lord and savior of my life? give you just a few more seconds. Now you might be in here and you might say, my light feels pretty dim and I could use a charge. I could use some strength. See, we should never get so high and mighty about how bright our light is shining 
on our good days. That's really not even the testament. The testament is still having light. <laughs> Ooh, even when it's dim and it's dark and it's painful and it's a sacrifice and it's hurting everywhere. I feel pain, but I still have light that shines in darkness because then that light who has these kinds of candles? Come here. <clears throat> Something begins to happen. Yeah. Need a light? You know, I used to ask that in high school that had nothing to do with candles. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but then that light turns. Go light somebody else's. really is the light in the darkest of places. Light of the world came to fill the dark souls of man. Humanity. What I love about peace on earth and goodwill, the translation that we read says towards men. But the original Hebrew was peace on earth goodwill to men, which meant restoration and goodness will be the will of the Father to those who accept it. Goodness, and even on the darkest of days, on the hardest of nights, Yet on the brightest and the most joyous seasons, his light never changes. His light never changes. How we look at it and how we look for it changes. His light has never dwindled away. Once these are all lit, if you all will stay in your place, thank you. As these beautiful girls come to sing. Let's hold our lights high for all to see. We hope you enjoyed this word. If you would like to hear more messages like this one, please take a second and click the subscribe button. And for more information on our ministry, please visit us at rhctn.com.